all have blind spots. And we all come from this kind of dominant societal worldview that informs us on a conscious level and also on an unconscious level. And so for a lot of families who are supportive of their loved ones, like I have an LGBTQ cousin or family member, like my family, we, we had gone through our journey of me coming out to my family. Like my family was very supportive and accepting of me. I mean, like I said, I moved out to Los Angeles to work for this national organization. Um, and so when my nephew's question, his question helped uncover the nuances of how our unconscious beliefs inform our, our lives and, and, our, and, our, and our belief systems. Welcome to Imperfect Parenting. I'm Ariel Green Anderson. My name is Matt Anderson. We're bringing you raw, real, and unfiltered stories from around the world. Are you an IP parent? Hey, it's Ariel Anderson, and you just heard Chris Tompkins, the author and incredible human who wrote Raising LGBTQ Allies, A Parent's Guide to Change the, uh, Changing the Messages from the Playground. And messages from the playground, I love how Chris talks about how this is, you know, sort of a, a metaphor. It's true, and it's also a metaphor that for the, you know, subconscious and the conscious and how we work with it. And, you know, I, born and raised in San Francisco, Northern California, and traveled the world and seen many different versions of what awareness looks like or doesn't look like. Uh, you know, the late 90s in Prague was a scary place uh, to be as an LGBTQ person. Uh, and I remember, you know, running into somebody in a gay club and they were shocked and they said, don't tell anybody. And I, I didn't understand that because to me, you know, you are who you are and that was fine. Uh, in my world, and yet I realized that it was dangerous at that time to be out. Uh, people didn't show affection. If they did, you knew they were from another country uh, when they were, you know, two uh, same-sex couples, um, etc. And uh, yet I still struggle, you know. I trip over my own words. At just the other day at Whole Foods, there was a non-binary person. I, I accidentally said she instead of they and I felt bad because I want to be aware I want my daughter who is witnessing that to also be aware and and honor who people are who she is herself and I really appreciate that Chris dives in and he tells his pieces of his own story um, with depth and emotion and truth and authenticity and that's what we honor the most um, you know whatever version of intimacy or truth is comfortable for you as the person coming on or you the person listening um, to honor that whatever that story is so I'm thankful and as a parent and a human there will be something in here regardless of the LGBTQ very important piece it's the human piece about you know like the three pieces uh, three sections of Chris's book you know which is, you know, awareness, willingness, and change, and, and all the pieces inside of that. And I think that those things, uh, working with those things, um, we're all works in progress. 
and this is an opportunity to understand people in your family, yourself, uh, your community, and how to have the conversation and you know just some ahas. I had some big ahas, and I hope you will too. So. Uh, if you're new here, definitely subscribe. If this is interesting, please share it with somebody who needs it. And otherwise, here is Chris Tompkins. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Still coming into the day. Yeah? I woke up at three, but I'm still waking up. Oh my up. goodness. Wow. Where, <laughs> where, in the, where in the country are you? I'm in Northern California, so oh, in the okay. Sonoma, Sonoma wine country. Got it. Okay. So both West Coast. I'm in Los Angeles. Yes. Yes, exactly. And how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah. It's been an early morning as well. I, I did an interview with someone on the East Coast. So they're three hours ahead. <laughs> I know the meeting schedules you guys have are sometimes insane, like starting at five or something like this. So yeah. Yeah. It's early. I, I, mine, I took a nap in between, but it was just a I have a thing where there's something on the way. I don't know what it is, oh. but when there's something on the way, I wake up at three, four in the morning, like several days in a row, and then something comes. It's usually wow. an opportunity, something happening, usually good, but you never yeah. know. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah. That's really uh, take it as a gift, even with the, you know, I like that softness. It, it yeah. makes a receptive moment. And I wanted that for you. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that works out. Okay, thank you. Well, it's really great to have you here. And we, I, I just sort of automatically start recording. And then we just start it where it feels like it makes sense, if that's okay for you. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. Just, and, so I, just so I know how to pronounce yeah. it, is it Ariel or Ariel? It's Ariel, but you know, Ariel. everybody, <laughs> everybody okay. pronounces it differently. Yeah. Don't worry. No yeah, worries. no, I, I, I want to honor your how you say it so I just wanted to make sure thank you that's very sweet yeah well I would love if you don't mind to just start you you mentioned you're in Southern California is that where you grew up or no I grew up in I'm from Arizona Tucson Arizona um, okay yeah born and raised and I've lived in Los Angeles for 13 years now yeah so it's been a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah well now you're now you're local like I know like okay. a, yeah, it feels weird to say that, but yeah, time flies. Um, it, feels it? it feels just like I moved here a little, uh, like a few years ago. That's funny how that works, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you still talk more slowly than the average LA person, so I appreciate that. Oh. <laughs> you know, there's the there, there's the whole Northern Southern California yeah. thing, yeah. and we Northerners can always up. Oh, that's somebody from LA because they're oh, really? talking a mile a minute, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's good to have you that all pieces of you in the room today. Yes. Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind to just start with, you know, just telling us a little bit about you know, the story that led up to this moment, as far as, you know, the pieces that you want to share um, of you and, you know, Arizona to LA and, you know, what really got you to the moment of, you know, raising LGBTQ allies. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure the story is very full <laughs> with dip, dips, <laughs> valleys and, you know, ebbs and flows. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and I'm always so curious where the, where the spark started and yeah. what happened before that. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Wow. Thank you. It's a, uh, it's, it's been pretty much a whole life, you know, journey. Um, I moved out to LA to 
do LGBTQ advocacy work. And so kind of after I came out of the closet, because I came out of the closet later in life, um, so around 25. Okay. And so then I moved out to Los Angeles and was doing a lot of advocacy work. Um, and even though I was really immersed in LGBTQ advocacy work, working for a national organization, you know, doing a lot of really on the ground work, there was still something that I couldn't quite figure out or understand why I still maybe felt some discomfort about who I was. And, and so the way that I was able to help myself understand that, because I didn't, I didn't, no one, no, none of my friends were talking about it or none of my colleagues. It was kind of like people in my experience, you know, they went from in the closet and having these stories of trauma and maybe family rejection, not, not all, but, but a lot to automatically kind of you know, doing the work that we were doing. And so the way that I was able to understand that for myself is that I, I started to say, oh, well, I played on the same playground as everyone else. So I started to use this term called messages from the playground. And for me, that was a way that I, I understood that even though I was out and, that, and I came out of the closet, I still picked up the same messages about maybe it was wrong or it was bad. And so those became kind of like unconscious beliefs that, that were inside of me. And so then that kind of led me down more of a healing, like inner, doing the inner work. Um, and that was over the course of a few years. So I was doing a lot of outward advocacy work, but I hadn't done the inner work. And so then when I started to do the inner work and, and name and look at those messages from the playground, that kind of opened more of myself up to, I think, create an opening to, for the book, really, which is, it's interesting because if I could share this story, I think it's a really neat story that kind of highlights this is that. So when people ask me about the book or, you know, how it started, it, I, I referred to, um, well, it really was a question that my nephew asked me and we can talk about that. Um, what's interesting though, is I was sharing that with a friend of mine who is like a real spiritual um, kind of person. And, and I remember when I told him that my nephew's question, I, like, I, I got this real sense of like, oh, like, like let down, he actually told me, he's like, no, that is all. He said, it's like your angels were, were blowing the trumpet because that was the opening for you to start to create this, you know, it was a letter that I wrote my family, then turned into an article, <laughs> then turned into a TEDx talk and a workshop. And then now the book. So that, that's kind of a big, long broad strokes, but that's kind of, I think, really um, kind of the background and then what led me to where I am today. No, I love the broad strokes because that's, you know, where people are getting a chance to connect in with you with their own story. And the family piece is really big because, I mean, in our family, that was one of the things that brought me to, let's say, deeper awareness of of the LGBTQ realities because my cousin who 
was just the light of our family Mm -hmm. um, got ill and the whole, and his dad was so macho, like he couldn't even talk about his partner being his partner. He'd just talk Mm -hmm. about his roommate. And that just for me shifted me to also do work in the community around awareness around a lot of things, because I thought, but we love him and why don't we accept all of him? And I remember being so shocked and just hearing the things that he said, you know, uh, about his experiences that I, even being a person who was born and raised in the San Francisco area. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful that I yeah. have some awareness still was in shock that, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of, it's such, so much on your shoulders. So I'm so thankful that you're, you're sharing uh, beneath the surface because yeah. that's, uh, that's what's needed for people yeah. to kind of go, Oh, I can exhale with, with Chris and, yeah. and with this, uh, this conversation, because uh, the more you're talking about, the pieces that were on your path, yeah. the more you're inspiring others to find their own way yeah. um, to do that in a way that's comfortable. And I just have a quick question because sure. you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, you know, your advocacy work. And I'm so curious because it happens to me in coaching and I hear this a lot with my clients. So I just have to ask, did you find that as things were unfolding for you, that people were showing up that were reflecting a part of your own journey, you know, that kind of were mirroring something that you were working with. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's why when I mentioned the messages from the playground that was helping me, but I also, I was talking to it with other people because I was finding that there were other people who were, it, it was like this, it was like this invisible thing that we couldn't quite put our finger on. You know, we were doing this advocacy work, but some of the stories or some of the things that I was hearing one-on-one, you know, people, you know, would come to me and talk to me. And so that, that conversation was something that I was also able to offer to other people as a way to help them understand their own experience of, you know, you can be an LGBTQ advocate, and also, I think, want to unpack the messages from the playground. And, you know, I, I really appreciated what you said just, you know, before this is that about your own experience with your family member and, you know, advocacy work is that what I really hope that my book does and this conversation does is not, it's not about making anyone wrong or, um, coming from a place of like, you have to learn this. And, you know, it's more, it's more of an invitation to help us all understand that we all have blind spots and we all come from this kind of dominant societal worldview that informs us on a conscious level and also on an unconscious level. And so for a lot of families who are supportive of their loved ones, like I have an LGBTQ cousin or family member, like my family we, we had gone through our journey of me coming out to my family. Like my family was very supportive and accepting of me. I mean, like I said, I moved out to Los Angeles to work for this national organization. Um, and so when my nephew's question, his, his question helped uncover the nuances of how our unconscious beliefs inform our, our lives and, and, our, and, our, and our belief systems. Now, I've read pieces of the book uh, and 
the book and I would love for you to share with the audience what the question was. Would you be willing to yeah. share that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I was in Arizona. I was living in Los Angeles, still live in Los Angeles, but I was in Arizona, ironically, giving a workshop at the Quality, Arizona Quality and Justice Conference, which is an LGBTQ conference. And I say ironically because I was there specifically for this um, workshop that I was giving. And then after the workshop, I went to my mom's and she had a bunch of my family over and family friends. And I was sitting next to a childhood friend who was a girl woman and she and my nephew was playing with all the kids running around just like kids do and and the adults we were just at the dining room table and like kids often do they think a thought and they'll just act on the thought impulsively and not necessarily want to have like a discussion but they'll just like so my nephew ran over whispered which is his version of whispering is taught was saying things out loud <laughs> so everyone heard him. And he said, Uncle Chris, is she your girlfriend? And then everyone kind of like erupted in laughter. And, but I could tell it was like really uncomfortable because everyone knew I'm, I'm gay. And, and, and so then that, that was really the question that helped me to understand like, oh, like I just assumed he knew that I was gay. Like I just made that assumption that his parents had already like had that conversation. And so it helped me realize like, oh, okay. So I have a role to play in my nephew's life as his gay uncle. And it really wasn't for me, the conversation wasn't really about me. It was more about there are, th there may be kids in our family right now who are LGBTQ. And I knew that I was gay when I was six. And so if we're not talking about this or even considering it, then we're helping contribute to the silence that I felt as a young person, which silence, and I talk about this in the book, is, is just as damaging as an outward, like verbal, you know, attack. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I remember, and I, you know, I grew up here and while in high school, I had two simultaneous experiences of, well, I lived out in the countryside, mm. the way out in the countryside. <laughs> and I remember moments of that, that silence and sort of the unspoken, but mm. also inappropriate things that would happen around the LGBTQ, which was not that at that time right. in the eighties, right. um, where I remember s small things where the principal, for example, would not allow um, male cheerleaders because it would seem like our our high school was gay mm. and I was like and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so that's their choice yeah. and it was just a very bizarre thing and at the same time simultaneously getting messages because I worked in in fashion and I was lucky enough to have a wide variety of people mm -hmm. who gave me a wide variety of of discussions of around love and relationship and I remember having this aha at 14 thinking oh love is love you know, I listened to a man talking about it, about a man, a woman talking about a woman, a woman, you know, all the different combinations. And I remember at 14 thinking, oh, my gosh, it's not different. And why do I have this conversation in my head that it it's different, mm. you know, and that anyway, it's just something that popped up in my head because, you know, uh, they were silent and girls would come in and people were confused and were saying the same thing. Like, is that your girlfriend? Is that your, you know, and then uh, finally the conversations would come out with trust. And mm -hmm. I realized, I remember that edge in the air 
even as a young person, of the silence, mm-hmm. that there was something in the silence. The silence was very full, but nobody was saying anything and how strange that felt. Yeah. And I love that kids can kind of, they, they react to it. They're not afraid to say it, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you navigate uh, grownups through this? Because of course the grownups are also, you know, think that they're aware. And at the same time, there can be moments where they're not sure what to do. My daughter's just started kindergarten. And so mm-hmm. I think about these conversations and I'm thankful that um, we've had some of these conversations already. So I don't have to worry about too much blurting, but you never know. But I, but I see uncomfortableness with certain parents when there's different combinations of parents out there. How do you, do you have any recommendations, you know, as we're building these allies out there um, for the parents who are trying to have the right, if you want to say it like that conversation with their kids um, to be those great allies on the playground? Yeah. 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 No, it's a great question. And I appreciate you asking. I think, you know, one of my messages like throughout my book, and this is really like one of the things that I hope that people get from it is that I truly believe that we can only take others as far as we've gone ourselves. And, and so as a parent, as a caregiver, as an uncle, as a friend, as an ally, LGBTQ ally, I can only take others as far as I've gone myself. So to answer your question, I really feel that with, with, with regard to anything in families, you know, we all come from families that have experienced something, you know, I know in my own family, um, addiction was a big thing. And so I see my brother and sister, like wanting to not do the things that maybe they experienced as kids. So that, that I think a lot of parents resonate with that. A lot of mm-hmm. caregivers, you know, they want to, they want to do things differently, you know, for their kids in order to really do that, it requires kind of going back to what I said earlier about the inner work is that we have to be able to be willing to look at our blind spots. And we have to be willing to look at the biases that we have. Um, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many stories that I've had from, from people who have reached out to me, you know, since the book came out that have shared with me, like, I've always thought that I was supportive. You know, I have a lesbian sister or I have a gay friend. And, and I realized like, I've always referred to my lesbians partner, my, my lesbian sister's partner as her friend, you know, and and just those little things, because that would be an example of, well, underneath that wanting to say that the sister's partner is a friend is a belief that, and this is what I really write in the book is that I, I broke, I broke the book up intentionally into three sections. The first section is awareness. The second section is willingness. And then the third section is change. And so I think it really does require us to first have the awareness. Okay. That that's the awareness of why do, why do I say that? Why did I say that about my, my sister's partner, and then have a willingness to look at that, to look at maybe some of the messages that I heard as a child that just by, again, virtue of being raised in a dominant culture. Um, And then the willingness allows us to create the change. So then to do it again the next time or to try, you know, one of the things I also talk about is as parents, parenting is no easy feat. I mean, there, it is, I, I honor 
people who are parents, because it is not easy. And I get that we're going to make mistakes as an uncle. I make mistakes and I get it wrong sometimes. So what I want people to consider and what I invite them to consider is that we're going to get it wrong, but it's in the rupture that we have the opportunity to create a repair. And the repair is what we can model to the young people. And then that's the taking others as far as we've gone ourselves. We get to take them a little further because it's in that repair that we get to have conversations. We get to teach, you know, kids how to have conversations, how to know that it's okay to make a mistake because these conversations can be messy and we're not going to get it right all the time. That's for sure. (laughs) I mean, and even when you think that you've, got it sort of down or you've got you know you're in the flow with it something new comes along uh, you know my whole life I've been working with and ha- been lucky enough to have some small understandings of LGBTQ community but then we had the non-binary came along and I I screwed up all the time yeah and I apologize I'm like I'm sorry you yeah. know like yeah. you know I, I said she and I meant they and right. I'm trying to get it right and yeah. you know um you know, so there's, there's continued growth. I mean, I think the path of life is, is never a finished learning experience for sure. Um, and, and I love also that you in the book, uh, you have the quote from Adrian, is it Pi or P I'm not going to say it right. Pass on your wisdom, not your trauma. Yes. And that was really strong because I think, you know, regardless, (laughs) that's a great thing of whatever your community is, but that, is so powerful when you've had such strong trauma, you know, how do you do that? Because, you know, you were mentioning a little bit before about parenting and what we, our intentions are versus reality and, and having to do the inner work. Uh, it's, it's one of the most challenging things as a person with younger people or people around you to not pass on the trauma because that's mm-hmm. how we advise people mm-hmm. is out of fear in our trauma experiences, you know, not wanting other people to feel pain whatever, you know, that is behind it or what echoes out from that trauma. And that's, Mm -hmm. it's a very powerful quote, which, and, and intention, you know, uh, how any words of wisdom around that, you know, other than doing the inner work, but, you know, you've got some people listening who aren't used to doing the inner work. Mm. What would be a, a small step that they could do if they don't even believe in inner work (laughs) because we have world listeners. And I know that, uh, I, and I have some people from my previous community in the Czech Republic where I lived in Prague. And I know that this is a challenge is, you know, even the word inner work is, uh, for some, uh, an admission of weakness or Mm. lack of strength and and they struggle with it. (laughs) And so I guess I'd love to give them a, a hint or a, a jewel of something that you have experienced or worked with others or yourself um, that could inch them forward towards understanding and comfortableness in this realm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great question. And I am asked that a lot. And I know that some, in some circles, inner work is understood and others, it's like, what does that mean? Um, I think that whoever's listening there, that that's why I really intentionally the first section of my book is about willingness or is about awareness because even in the fact that someone's listening to this episode right now, 
there's been a certain level of awareness that has come into their life. And I really do believe like maybe some of your listeners have heard when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And so books and in my own experience, books will kind of start to come into your, your realm. Maybe it's this book, maybe it's another book. You'll start to ha- have conversations. People will say something to you. That's the awareness. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> this book. Yeah, this that book. book. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the awareness. Things will come into your awareness. And so p- pay attention to those, those messages, you know, and, and then the willingness. And you don't even have to know how to do inner work. It's just the willingness to be open to something. I mean, I often think of like, like working out. I mean, I, that's kind of a real basic example, but, um, you know, or seat or planting, you know, growing, uh, you know, over, over the quarantine, like I, like I took on a new, new project and I, you know, I have a whole balcony full of like plants and, you know, I, I just had to like plant something. I didn't have to figure out how it's going to grow or what it's going to do. I just had to plant the seed and then do the things, water it, and then it's going to, it's going to grow. And so I think of like inner work kind of like the same way where it's like, I don't have to know what to do necessarily. I have to just have the awareness that maybe I could benefit from being the best, the best version of myself. Like how about, that's a good starting place. Like I, I'm aware of the fact that I want to be the best version of myself. And then the next step is just to be willing. Like, how could I do that? What would be a great way for me to do that? And then that's when some, you know, conversations, you'll be on this, you'll listen to this podcast, you know, you'll read a book. And then I think that, and that's how there are many, I believe many different paths that lead to the same place, which ultimately is connecting with ourselves fully. And in order to do that, we have to kind of maybe look at some of the things that have contributed to us not being fully ourselves. Mm. Yes, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I love your analogy about the seed um, and not, having, not knowing and, and that's, and it's funny because the other thing that I, I wrote down that I, wanted to bring up which you did just automatically was uh, you wrote it's perfectly okay to not fully understand being lesbian gay bisexual or transgender yet mm. and it, it called to me because you know you're talking about just creating the awareness and then you know letting things come and being aware and I, I that it struck me because that's something that my daughter and I always say is you know I don't like salad yet. Mm. I don't understand that yet. That's not clear to me yet. And so it, it struck me because I think sometimes people, you know, we take the easy route and just say, well, I don't, I don't get it, you know, but even just being willing, as you're saying, aware and, and willing, uh, you know, can echo out that change and uh, you don't have to work so hard at it all yeah. the time. Even if you don't, you don't have to know the way, just yeah. point your boat in the direction and see what right. happens. Right. So, right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing. And if I, if I could say too, is that, you know, messages from the playground, again, is the analogy that I use to describe subconscious beliefs. The playground is our consciousness. And then the messages are the subconscious beliefs. And you can apply that. Anyone could apply that to all areas. Um, so it's not just LGBTQ. And so the reason I bring that up is because what you're talking about right now 
is that a lot of people in my life and in my own experience is that we we want to get we want to get it right. We want to we want to look good. We want to maybe a little bit of perfectionism in the United States, a little bit of like you know, I don't want to look like I'm not like I don't want to look dumb maybe. Um and so like what you wrote about or what you read about what I wrote is you may not understand fill in the blank yet. And, and that is an example of like someone who has a messages from a message from the playground, you know, as a little kid, maybe their parents, they felt like they needed to be right all the time. And so it's even in the willingness to like, look at that and see where in your life you're maybe needing to be right or wanting to be right. And that's kind of driving, you know, and so that that's where you kind of allow like, that's the, that goes to the inner work is like, you're looking at what were the messages that I received, you know, as a kid, you know, I, I've been teaching social emotional learning throughout LA for six years. And what's interesting is that one of the classes that we always teach is about um, the beliefs, you know, negative beliefs versus positive beliefs. So the idea being that we help kids to create positive empowerment statements. And so the way to do that though is we have them write down things that they've heard negative about specific areas of their life, school, money, family, friends, et cetera. And the thing of it is, I am three generations older than a lot of the kids that I teach. And they write down the same negative things that they've heard that I heard when I was a kid. So that's the idea is that you know, we're all part of this kind of collective consciousness and pass on our wisdom, not our trauma is that we get to tap into that collective negative, positive beliefs, and then change it for the next generation. Yeah. And I, I, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, you see it in not only the beliefs, but, you know, even just the the rhymes and songs and things like things keep going really people are still doing that one which is from like the 30s or whatever so it's not surprising that the beliefs are in there and and yet definitely i i've always believed that each generation or you know there's at least at the very least a slight improvement you know with some awareness there's an opportunity for a slight you know more awareness a little bit i i know that my daughter will have you know be a little bit more aware and a little bit more whatever. And, and for me, that's a success. Mm. If there's any improvement in the next generation, and if we can expand that out, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, yeah. Uh, it takes that, that willingness that you mentioned, yes. you yeah. know, to, yeah. to step in and, and it's uncomfortable sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. what you talked about, you know, reflecting on what, you know, came into our sphere of communication in, in our own families and what we may be, you know, then passing on unconsciously or consciously, uh, it's painful to realize, you know, you hear your child say something or your nephew, your niece, or whoever it might be, the children in your lives. It's, uh, it's powerful, because then you kind of stand back if you're if you're lucky, and you catch it, you you stand back and, you know, then you reassess, like, how can we shift this, there's still an opportunity to shift this, Mm -hmm. and how to do that. So I, it reminded me also of, of something that I wanted to ask you because, uh, you know, the, I know that the playground is an analogy, you know, messages from the playground, but it's also a reality and it's, 
not just the playground, but the home as we're talking about here. And I know I've experienced in my life and you talk about, you know, whether it's your life or someone else's life that we've seen it, experienced it. And now I was reminded again, because uh, I don't know if you know, um, Julia Delphi's on the verge. If you saw her show, well, it's it's basically um, because I work with midlife pregnancy and and parenthood as well. Um, And so it attracted me, but there's one piece in there that reminds me so much of um, somebody I won't, you know, mention them, but in Czech Republic, who's dealing with the same issue. So I'd love to bring it up, which is there's a piece in there where the mom is allowing her son or they to be whoever they're feeling to be. He's yeah. They are young. Yeah. I am always, I'm still tripping on it. Uh, It's a young person trying to find their identity. And mm. the mother is allowing this and the mm. father is really struggling and kind of pushing against and shaming the child. Like, why are you wearing that? Why are you doing that with your hair and, you know, whatnot? And why I'm bringing this up is, you know, we talked about doing inner work, but what, what is a way when, when there's someone in your family or, you know, you're in a partnership, what would you advise when you're on different sides? Mm of working with a moment like that, or if you see a child who is suffering inside of a situation like that, um, to be an ally for that parent, for that child, any, any thoughts on, you know, that's a touchy, we're talking about uncomfortable situations. And as a person who's been a teacher, I, my heart breaks because I feel like I feel the pain, you know, of the, of that child and that situation. Um, I don't know, just, just thoughts, because I know that, you know, whether it's, whatever the situation is, it's, um, you want to be the right kind of ally and not make it worse Mm. or, or to make embarrass people or how would you approach somebody in that situation or do you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, it's a really big conversation and it's a big question and I appreciate you asking it. I think that when it comes to family systems, things aren't always, okay, this is what you do and this is how you do it. Um, I think what we're talking about here to me, what I'm hearing is it's kind of like two, two people coming together and maybe coming from different religious backgrounds. And then all of a sudden they have a child and there's a conversation about, well, I want to raise the child this way. I want to raise the child that way. And that can be a really, really, you know, complicated scenario. And that's kind of the same how I'm hearing you kind of frame this situation is that you have one person who feels very strongly this way. And one person who feels very strongly this way. I don't know that there's like a quick, easy way to resolve that. And I think that what I, what I do, what, what I do think though is important is, is our values. You know, each of us has a really a core set of values. And I talk about this in the book and I invite parents, caregivers, even kids, young people to really, start having conversations about what are your core values? What are your values? Because we're always, each of us is always operating from our place of values. And so even the parent who doesn't agree with a certain thing, they're operating from a place of values. And the parent who sees a certain way, they're operating from a place of values. And so I think that sometimes it requires the parents to kind of step back and to have a question about what are our values? What are the values that we're wanting to raise our, our child with? And then see if there are similar values that they can kind of go to. They may not agree with everything, 
But if there are a few values that they can kind of like latch onto, then that can kind of maybe be a, a doorway to move forward. And I think that even to have the conversation in the family system is really important because what I experienced in my childhood, and I, and I talk about this in the book, is that I was a very observant child. Like I observed everything. And so I really observed, you know, my stepfather didn't really know how to parent me. You know, I kind of bumped up against a lot of his belief systems about what boys were supposed to look like and be like and what things they liked. And so I really, not intentionally, but I just challenged how, like he didn't know, like it was like, he was like, what do I do with this kid, you know? And so I bring that up because I heard my mom, she didn't intentionally do this, but I often heard her try to persuade him, convince him to, to, you know, play with me or to care, care for me or, and, and I know that she meant well, but the messages that I received were that it, it just didn't feel good for me to hear my mom try to convince my stepdad, you know? So the reason I'm bringing that up is well, that's because, interesting because I think it's important that parents can kind of, so the parent who wants to defend the child to do it in a way that the child isn't necessarily always the reasons why they're needing to needing to be defended. Could, could you repeat could, that? Could could I break just, up? just, yeah, it broke up, but that okay. seems like an important moment. So I wanted yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Again. Okay. Yeah. So I, the, 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 the purpose of my bringing that, that, that story up and I write about this in the book, but is that I think that it's important for parents to have conversations that they can make the child feel validated and not invalidated. And so if, if a parent is constantly coming to my defense, then although they mean well, it almost feels like, gosh, like it, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing... I'm seeing something that maybe I don't, that's not making me feel validated. Wow. That's so interesting to me. I, Chris, I, I really appreciate you mentioning that because I've seen this numerous times and I would never have received it in that way. So instead, if there were a moment that came up and there were and the parents, could you be, could you give a specific example since you experienced it and received it in this way? I'd be so curious. So if there was a moment that came up Mm -hmm. where your mom was sort of defending you or trying to convince him, what would be another way she could do that that would feel better? Yeah. Okay. So the example that I use in the book yeah. is that I remember when I was a kid. So my stepdad was a baseball coach and my two brothers, he was their coach. So they played baseball and I did not like throwing baseballs. I did not like baseball. <laughs> um, and so I remember one afternoon, my mom convincing my stepdad to try and teach me how to throw a baseball. And it just was a really uncomfortable, like the messages that I was received, the messages that I received were that there's something wrong with me for not wanting to throw the baseball or not knowing how to throw the baseball. Um, and so although she meant well, 
and saw it as an opportunity for us to spend time together or, you know, go, go like here, here, you know, go teach your son how to play, throw a baseball. It was more that it was like, she was almost trying to fix me. Right. Um, and so like I it's guess it's not okay to not want to play baseball exactly rather yeah. than she's trying to, so maybe a better thing would have been to ask a question, like, what would you guys like to do together or something like this? Yeah. Ask yeah. you the question. Yeah. Or to have a conversation away from me and, and to, to, to see what our values are as a family, you know, mm -hmm. and, and to kind of, kind of going back to what I said before is it like, okay, there, like, let's say we each have 20 values, three of those values we each share. So let's try and use those as kind of our guide with what we want to do with our kids. I love that. Thank you. Cause it's just, I watched this happen over and over again. And if that was a real wake up call in that moment, because I hear that a lot and I thought, Oh, that's good. She's defending him. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. You know, to get that twist because that's part of that awareness that you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I appreciate that because, you know, one of the things I really want to do with the book is that I'm, intentionally, I really, it was important for me to center children's experiences. Mm. So when I wrote this book, I literally like felt myself kind of get down on a, on a child's level. And so I may write something that, I mean, this, this is kind of like work, right? Like this is takes, it takes concerted effort to kind of do these things like explore our values to have conversations, you know? I really though want to invite people to consider that this is, I'm centering the child's experience. And so, cause I've been teaching, like I said, for six years, I've been hearing what young people tell me and, and I know what it's like to be a kid. I was a kid, <laughs> you were a kid. And so I, I, I hope that even in my writing the book that I'm able to kind of reach people from their understanding of what it's like to be a kid. And so that's kind of my hope is that like my mom, she really meant well. And what is it like to be a kid to hear, you know, that kind of thing. Thank you. And that's that reminder about uh, the child's experience and because not, not everybody remembers yes. what it was like to be a kid. I go through this sure. with my husband all the time. He's like, you remember that? I said, she hears everything everything do you think she does? she understands our link but everything in detail and remembers it whereas we might forget it tomorrow and and how that changes the experience you yeah. know yeah and and uh, uh in the best of all worlds yeah hopefully changes the way in which we're doing things yeah. recognizing that just because they're shorter than us doesn't mean they're not hearing everything yeah. like one meter above their yeah. head, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. always bizarre to me. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you've seen it now that, especially as you're, uh, you know, you're, you've been so immersed in, in considering the child experience and you've been teaching the last six years, how many times do you see people without realizing it, they're talking with their child in the room or right next to them or having a discussion that the child shouldn't hear thinking that they're not paying attention because they're playing with something mm -hmm. or they're looking the other way and they've got their little eagle read radar ears going like it's uh it's powerful so thank you for that that piece and um 
What would you say on your journey, Chris, has been for you inside of writing the book, mm-hmm. the biggest aha along the way, like that grew you even more inside mm. of writing the book that was maybe unexpected? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I I never really thought that I was a writer. I didn't, that's not, I, as a kid, I didn't write. I wasn't like, you know, you hear people who wrote books that they're like, oh, I've always written or, you know, for me, I really felt like I had something to say. I didn't know how to say that. And I had, I used to have a fear of public speaking. And so after my nephew's question, I, I wrote my family that letter and then it turned into an article and, and that was published. And, but then I, I wanted to say it, I wanted to talk about it. And so I, I went to Toastmasters to practice public speaking, not realizing that you have to write a speech before you give one. So that to me is where I started writing. So to, so to answer your question is that I had always, when I started to research like about writing and, and you know, researching other authors, I always heard that, or when I was doing that, I heard other authors talk about, you know, you write the book for yourself. The author writes the book for themselves. I, that's kind of like a common thing. Um, I always understood that to be the content. So the content of the book, the author writes for themselves. So the biggest aha that I've received through this journey is the process. The process, this entire process was for myself. Mm. So it's healed me in ways that I didn't know that I needed to be healed. Um, It's brought out things in myself that like I was good content wise Process-wise, though, I really needed to learn more deeply. And so that was the biggest aha, I think. Um, And it was through the writing that I really understood that I could only, I could only take others as far as I've gone. You know, and 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 that it literally changed, it changed my life because I had a recommitment of how I wanted to be an uncle. Like there's this new generation of kids. And I have a responsibility to show up in a way that I want to help contribute to their lives from the wisdom perspective versus the trauma perspective. Mm. That's really strong. Because the good news is that we can, just as we can pass down our trauma, we can also pass down our resilience. And so I want to pass down my resilience. Mm. I'm just letting there be some silence there for a moment because that's that's really good. And Chris, can I ask you a personal question? Sure. How does it feel to be truly heard right Mm. now through your book? And now I know you've had speaking engagements, but how does it feel to really, really be heard? Yeah. That's a good question because... I think that it, I, the reason I'm, I'm pausing is because I don't know that every single person who receives the book is going to hear it in the way that maybe I wanted them to. And so for me, there's been a, a, 
a certain level of letting go because I have to meet people where they're at. And so to be completely heard, I have to be able to hear myself and, and, and allow others to receive it from the place that they're at. So it's not so much about being heard completely every time that I talk to someone or every time that someone receives the book um, or who comes across the book. I really do believe that, you know, you have to have a reason to read my book. And so I know myself, I've had books on my shelf that I haven't read, but maybe I got a year ago. But like I said before, books come off the shelf when the student is ready. And so that for me has been kind of also part of the process. Mm. Thank you for differentiating the, you know, being heard versus speak, you know, saying the words out loud, because of course there is no guarantee of being heard. And I imagine saying the, so saying everything out loud, like fully must have mixed moments yeah. <laughs> you know, of, of discomfort and freedom and all mixed together. Is that true? You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I say this, I've said this a lot and I, I, I will continue to say it is that just because I wrote a book about how to raise LGBTQ allies doesn't exempt me from continuing to do the work. <laughs> so I'm a work in progress. I think just like everyone else, <laughs> but, it, but it, it takes that certain level of awareness, like I said, and then the willingness, um, and then, and that gives me comfort. What would be a last thought that you would give to the people, to wh whoever's listening out there, uh, just around this conversation, you know, about raising LGBTQ allies, about being in the world in the best way possible, whatever, what is your, if you could give a last thought with your high dream in mind for the, for the planet, for the community, or yeah, what would yeah. that be? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I love it. Can I share two? Yeah. I okay. love that. <laughs> so the, fir the first one is something that I wrote about it's in the book and it comes, it comes from a story that I heard that I think is really important for anyone who works with youth whether you're a parent, caregiver, teacher, mental health professional, um, especially with back to school conversations, you know, in classrooms and everything, is that it's not the child's responsibility to teach us who they are. It's our responsibility to learn who they are. And I think that's really an important thing that I'd love your listeners um, to consider. And the second thing, you know, they say like, when you write a book, like, okay, what's the elevator pitch? Like, what's the, if you're in, you know, how do you, how do you summarize it? Like, you know, and my book is really to prevent homophobia, transphobia, and bullying. And just a really quick takeaway that I could offer your listeners. It's talk to your kids, talk to your kids, like have conversations and don't, don't worry about getting it right or not getting it right. Just talk, have conversations. It's a, it's, and it's not a one-time conversation and it's not a one size fits all and just continue to, to continue to have conversations. Oh, thank you. Um, 
can you tell people where they can find you if they want more of, I will of course have links down below, but I also love to have it in, in the audio here as we're talking that they can kind of note it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so my website is a road trip to love.com all one word. And then my social media handles are similar, a road trip to love. So whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You heard that you guys writing it down. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> a road trip to love. Yes. <laughs> and to, uh, to finish with a, such an incredible conversation, which I'm, I'm really thankful. I just, first, I want to say uh, thank you very much for rising up into your own and, and from and inside of your own story to, to share all of this, not only on the podcast, but in your book and out in the world, being brave, reminding people who are looking for a way to connect their own story um, to make things better mm. and grow things. Thank you for all your energy and your courage mm. to meet up with all of us podcasters who may or may not be on your in your in alignment all the time mm -hmm. uh and the world and i Thank i want to ask you how can we best support your vision your highest vision mm -hmm. what can we do you mentioned some things in your last sentences but is there anything else that would really give you what you need or yeah. this this mission what it needs yeah yeah yeah, gosh, that's a beautiful question. And thank you for your kind words. I think that, you know, have, have the willingness to get it wrong, because that gives you the humility to get it right. Thank you. Yeah. Ah, well, thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to, I know I'll have some great comments from, uh, from out around the world. And uh, if not, then in the silence, good things. And uh, we'll be growing through awareness, willingness, and change. Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much. Yeah, wow. Well, thank you so much, Ariel. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our Very Imperfect Parenting Podcast. If you'd like a little more like live coaching sessions, then jump into facebook.com backslash IP parents. You can also write me at ariel at imperfectparenting.net or jump on that site for other resources like book reviews and other fun things. If you would just share with one person or let one person know about this podcast, that helps us a lot. As well, we have Patreon with extra privileges and have a beautifully imperfect day. Thank you so much for being out there.